Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome to Maximize Your Influence. It's a podcast 319 as we learn how to become better persuaders, better at influence, better at leadership, better at self-persuasion, better at every aspect of our life. Remember, everything you want in life is on the other side of persuasion, influence, negotiation, the critical skills that'll make a huge difference in every aspect of your life. So we take a deeper dive today into visual persuasion. So this week I was in warm, nice Arizona. It's always good to go there in the winter time. Did a great sales training out there for a great, and I won't name names company. They reserved the whole resort for sales training. Had a great large audience and we learned some great things about persuasion influence, especially selling. The key, of course, is not using closing skills. It's opening them up to helping them close themselves. And you have to realize that we all sell for a living. Hope you're doing well. Everything you need is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. If you want to go there to listen to the podcast, of course, you could use Spotify, iHeart, iTunes, or even, of course, the YouTube channel where I supersize what I talk about on the podcast. Different content, but they do go hand in hand. And, of course, MaximizeYourInfluence.com is a place to take your Persuasion IQ test. If you want to see where you rank, get the new edition of Maximize Your Influence, pick up a little shipping and handling all the products and service, and of course, the contact me area where you can let me know what you want to hear on the show. Because if I use your email on the show, you get a free subscription to influenceuniversity.com, which is the accelerated, I'm tired of losing money, let's make this happen, training that can make a huge difference in your life. All right, so let's start off with a ninja, Persuasion Ninja. Now, you might think this is a blunder. I was just noticing this. I was looking at a magazine. It seemed pretty high-end, really glossy, and I was looking through it. It had clickbait. I don't know if they call it clickbait on a magazine, but, you know, the little headlines in the magazine to grab your attention. So I want to go directly to that article to take a look at it. And the first page, second page, third page. And there was no table of contents until I got about to the ninth or tenth page. I'm like, that's crazy. Table of contents should be in the front. Then I'm like, aha. They're getting you in the magazine to look at the advertising, getting you engaged, getting you involved. Now, it was to the point where I was getting a little miffed that I couldn't find it, but they got me in the magazine, and those advertisers in the front were getting a lot of exposure. So I'm like, wait a minute. So I grabbed some magazines, and I got, uh, let's see, People Magazine here. See where their table of contents, which should be what? In the first, second, maybe third page. That one's on the sixth page. Here is Better Homes and Garden. One, two, three, four. Seventh page. And Eating Well. I guess we all should do that. Look at here. This one's on the ninth page. <laughs> okay. So kind of a trend, kind of interesting. You could decide if that's a blunder ninja. But they got me engaged. They got me involved. They got me a magazine. And I had to look at their advertising to see if it was the table of contents. Kind of clever, kind of sneaky maybe. Is that a blunder? I think that's a ninja. 
Let me know at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Kind of interesting, but that's one of the 12 laws of persuasion. Maximum influence is a law of involvement. You got them engaged. If they're not listening, if they don't care, if they're not opening your magazine, if they don't come to your store, if they don't come to your website, if they don't listen to your presentation, if they don't care, if they're overwhelmed, if they're confused, if they're hungry, they're very difficult to persuade and influence. And so if you want more information on law of involvement, check out Maximum Influence or check out the archives at MaximizeYourInfluence.com because I did a podcast on that probably about a year ago. But do appreciate your comments, your insights, and your positivity. You these great comments that keep me going, help me do the podcast, help you share some of the new latest information in the world of persuasion, influence, and negotiation. So let's do our next one, the Geeky Scholarly Article. This one is from the American Society of Horticultural Science. Pretty sure we've never used this one on the show. We've used a lot of magazines, a lot of journals. And this is also from the University of Japan and Hyogo. I don't know if I'm going to say that right, but let me know if I do or don't. So this is interesting. We talk a lot about subconscious triggers in our surroundings and our environment, that plants are shown to reduce stress at work, that the mere sight of an indoor plant can reduce stress in office workers. And this is based on a new study that was done in Japan, that the study verified that there's a psychological and physiological impact induced by indoor plants. Now, there might be a little duh factor here. I know getting out to nature, going for a hike, getting in the mountains, there's something therapeutic about that. That might be the same type of thing here. And I don't know if it's different for people that live in the big city that don't see that many plants or trees or people that live out in nature. They didn't distinguish between the two. But researchers Mashira Toyota, Yuko Yokoda, Marnie Barnes, and Midori Kaniko, this is University of Hyogo in Japan, they brought in indoor plants to see if it would boost mental health among employees. You know, that exposure to the green environment. And so researchers want to calculate that stress reduction of employees in real office settings. And so they went to different office workers in Japan, and they were directed to take a three-minute rest break while sitting at their desk where they felt fatigue. And there was two phases of the study. The control period without plants, and an intervention period where participants were able to see and care for a small plant. And they measured the psychological stress of employees before and after. They found out the workers' pulse rate lowered significantly after a three-minute rest interacting at a desk that had a plant. And they tried different kinds like bonsai and cactus and foliage and other type of greenery, we'll call it. But they found that both passive and active involvement with plants in the workplace were considered reduced stress and fatigue. They found that calming effects calculated during the study showed that anxiety decreased significantly when the plant was on the worker's desk. So they found, they proved in this study, that small indoor plants can be helpful and to improve office conditions for employees. A plant, a green plant, can you imagine that? Changes stress, and all that, it helps you persuade people. When you reduce stress and people are thinking better and they're calmer, they're easier to influence and persuade. So next time you do a negotiation, just bring in all the plants you can find, <laughs> make it a greenhouse, or better yet, negotiate in the jungle or in the mountains. Again, I'm kidding with you here, but there's some truth to that. You have to understand your environment, your surroundings, because that affects your ability to persuade and influence. A lot of people just don't even think about their surroundings. In fact, I want to talk a little bit about that, how to make your surroundings a little more persuasive and influential. But before I do, I've got to get into a listener email. Oh, boy! This runs Tina from England. She says, Kurt, thanks for the podcast and Influence University. 
I have more than tripled my persuasion and influence tools. All right. Thanks, Dina. She says, I saw you do a three-day seminar on charismatic leadership. I don't think you ever looked at notes. How did you do that? I have to give a three-hour presentation and do not want to look at my notes. Oh, Tina, I can't tell you my secrets, but I guess I will. Now, let's back up a little bit. When you have notes in your hands, it decreases your charisma, your energy, your connection with the audience. It's a barrier. Now, I know as a presenter, whether you're talking to somebody one-on-one or a group of people, it's nice to have notes. It's like this warm little blanket. You're not really going to look at them that much. They're there just in case. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I've seen too many presenters. I've trained over 10,000 people on public speaking and presentations and how to become a better presenter. And it happens all the time. It's just in case in their hands, they look down, they start reading, they disconnect from the audience. It's not persuasive. Reading notes, nowhere in the world ever has been persuasive. Maybe if you're at a teleprompter at a certain type of audience, but if you want to be engaging, passionate, charismatic, you cannot have notes in your hand. Now, Tina, notice I said notes in your hand. I have notes. Now, I've given these presentations many times where I probably don't need notes, and I don't use notes that often, but if I'm giving a new presentation that I've never given before, there are ways to have notes without having notes. Did you catch that? You could have notes. You can cheat. I don't know if that's the best word, but you could cheat and have notes without holding. That's the key word here, holding notes. I remember watching Zig Ziglar, if you don't know that name, a famous motivational speaker. He's no longer with us. He projected his notes, his presentation on the back wall. So he didn't have to look behind him and it was behind the audience. I mean, if you want to put notes on the back wall or have your mom in the back holding up a sign on what to say next, I don't care as long as you're not holding it and it does not bother the audience. And most of it's just in the preparation. You need to know your stuff. Maybe you need to create an acronym in your mind or the the five things you need to talk about. It's all in the preparation and the practice. It's one of the first thing I teach corporate executives and, and during persuasive presentations is this. And this is the example I give. A term paper in college. How many times are you going to edit it? You're like, oh, five, six times. And I said, exactly. A presentation. How many times are you going to edit it? And they look at me. I said, Every time you practice that's editing it, you need to spend 50% on the creation and 50% on the practice. That is your editing because it sounded good in your head, but when you deliver it, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, when we write it, we edit. And when we speak, we've got to edit. That's your practice. We spend all our time in the creation and the PowerPoints and the just in case and the notes that we don't spend the time in the practice delivery. That's the persuasion side is the practice and the delivery. But with that in mind, let me give you a few more ways to have notes without having notes. Maybe use that old school overhead projector. (laughs) I still like those. I think you lose credibility when you use those. Although they're coming back, they have the Elmos, which is more of a camera that shoots down. The old overhead projectors, you could have notes in between your slides without having notes. Another thing you do is maybe have a post-it note and put it in the tray of a whiteboard, you know, where they keep the pens and the eraser. Just a little post-it note or something under the eraser or... Something there where you can glance on just to know what the next step is. Or if you're one that uses the flip charts where you flip the paper over, if you notice, if you take a look, get there early, there's about a quarter inch shadow on the top where you flip over that the previous paper is creating a shadow. Just get there early in a pencil, write notes up there really light on the next 10 pieces of paper and then return it to that first piece 
and you've got notes on everyone and nobody knows. You look really smart and that's what you want. You want to look really smart. That's a way to have notes without having notes. Or you could bring printed notes and set them down on a table or a chair or a podium. Now, I don't want you behind a podium. That kind of has a disconnect between the audience. But if you want to go over and say, let me read you a quote, and you read the quote, and you can take a look at the notes. Or even worst case scenario, if you had to look at your notes, and they knew you were looking at your notes, as long as you're not holding them, I am okay with that. Or sometimes I use this, the notes view in PowerPoint, a couple bullets for every slide can be very helpful. And for those who don't use PowerPoint, basically the PowerPoint is projected to the audience, but what you see is different. You see part of the slide, the next slide, and a few notes that you've written in there that your audience can't see. And that's one way to have notes without having notes. Now, if you want the proper do's and don'ts about PowerPoint, go to the YouTube channel, Maximize Your Influence. I'll post that there. There's certain ways to make that more persuasive. PowerPoint can be very persuasive influence, and PowerPoint can suck the life out of your audience when you use it the wrong way. And I'm telling you, and you know this already, you've been to enough presentations to know that most people use PowerPoint in the wrong way. Those are their notes. They read the notes to you word for word. It's not persuasive, but they don't want to forget because they didn't practice. That's their blanket. That's their notes. You want to keep your eyes on the audience. If you want to know how to create a perfect persuasive PowerPoint, go to the YouTube channel and I'll map that out for you. So thanks, Dina. And for using your email on the show, you get free Influence University. But you already have that, so we'll send you an upgrade. So you can have access to the persuasion software that persuades for you. All 77 objections and how to respond to each one of those. It gives you multiple answers and strategies. So let me continue with this engagement side. Making the room you're in more persuasive, more influential. Now, some of you are over the phone, some of you are doing Skype. Now, if you're doing Skype, they can still see the room. There's some bits and pieces to that. But there's just something about the room you're in. So we know we need to put plants in there, right? That's a good thing. Probably increases the oxygen. There's just something about greenery that makes a big difference. But here's some other things to think about your room. Because... People just show up and they do their presentation. They don't think about the room. How do you make a perfect persuasive room? The studies are in, the science do show us various ways to do that. Now, the first thing you have to think about is where. Now, if you need a little power, a little hands up, you probably want to do your office or your boardroom or your company. If you want them a little more relaxed, maybe their company, their conference room. Maybe you need something neutral. If it's a negotiation, where you don't want anyone to have a hands up. Now, if it's your own colleague, your own company, that's still, is it your office, their office, something neutral, something to think about, that makes a big difference. If it's a place they feel really comfortable and controlled, do you want that? Maybe. But if you need a little more power and control, maybe you need to have it at your office or your conference room. Now, as I go through some of these, realize some of these things you can fix, some things you can't, but they're good to be aware of. Because we've talked a lot about color, and I don't expect you to repaint the room before the meeting. Maybe you need to. If it's yellow or an annoying color that annoys people, yellow would be one of those colors. In fact, interesting note on that, my younger daughter let her pick out a color for a room. She wanted to repaint it, and we did. It was an off yellow. Fast forward a year, the friends don't play up there anymore because they call it the angry room. They don't get along up there. Hmm, think about that. So maybe you could choose a different spot so you don't have to repaint it, but color matters. You want to think about distractions. Where's the door? Because you know if the door's in the front and someone comes in, everyone's eyes, everyone's distracted, that's interruption. Keep the interruptions at a minimum. So you probably want the door in the back. You might need to shut the curtains. Now, we love natural light. The more light, the better. 
But I remember giving a presentation to an all-male audience overlooking the beach in Santa Barbara, California. During the summertime, not a good thing. We had to shut the curtains. So if you're on the third, fourth floor and it's a beautiful view and the sun's out, get that natural light. But if people are walking, it's on the first floor, it's distracting, you probably need to shut the curtains. But you do want as much light and as much natural light as possible, if you can. And that's where people tend to blow it with the PowerPoint is they dim the lights so there's shadows on their faces to make the PowerPoint easier to read. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. If you have shadows on your face, that decreases credibility. I'd rather have the PowerPoint hard to read and light on your face than the other way around. Now, in a bigger audience, you got to look at volume. Can they hear you in the back? Do you need to be amplified? Because they're going to strain for a little while and give up, or does it sound like you're yelling at them? And that's true with your PowerPoint. Can they read it from the back of the room? So always have someone in the back room. Make sure they can see your PowerPoint and they can hear you. Here's a crazy one. Ceiling height. The higher the ceiling, the easier it is to influence somebody. Isn't that crazy? I know seminar companies will not go to hotels unless they're 20, 30 feet. They're very high because we think bigger. We feel better. There's just something about higher ceilings. I mean, you've been in those rooms before with a really low ceilings. It's compressing. It's demotivating almost, and we just don't think very big. So ceiling height's important. And here's one, the temperature of the room. Hmm, what's the most persuasive temperature? 68 to 7 degrees Fahrenheit or 20 to 21 degrees Celsius. You can't fix hot, little on the cold side, keep people alert. There are some famous motivational speakers out there. I'm not going to name names. They keep the room at 60 degrees, so people have to move. They sit still, they're going to get cold. Again, you can't fix hot. little on the cold side. Maybe a few people complaining it's too cold, then it's about right. I'm telling you, we've tested this out. This works. Temperature matters. If it's too hot after lunch, you know what that's going to do. Now, you don't want it frigid, 32 degrees. It might help for a little bit, but it's something that makes a big difference. Maybe having a little music when people walk in. It creates energy in the room. Of course, it has to be the right type of music. But music can change things at the breaks in the beginning, get people to interact. There's something about music. And if it's a larger audience, being on a platform increases your influence. There's just something about it. Just don't fall off. I've done that before when you can't see the end of the stage, the lights on your face and the cameras are rolling. That's a whole other story for another day. And final thing, the chairs, the setup. If it's a smaller audience, the U works pretty well to where you're in the front of the U standing up. And they're around a you, so it's a compact, it's engaging. Now, if there's only a couple people in the room, you're probably not going to stand up. If it's a larger audience, Chevron. It's kind of more on an angle towards the stage. Just like the Chevron symbol. Less than 90 minutes, probably no table. Longer than 90 minutes or a full-day seminar, probably have a table to take notes. But the biggest blunder for chairs, here it is, happens all the time. Hey, you get the phone call from your company or the hotel. How many do you expect? And you say, a hundred, right? You're being optimistic. And they put up 150 chairs because that's what they do. They don't want to come back and do it later. So just in case, they might even put up 200. So you say a hundred, 75 show up to 150 seats. What do they do? They all spread out. I don't know if you know about the man law. That guys can't sit next to each other if there's extra chairs. That's just how it is. And what that does is it destroys your credibility number one. And number two, it destroys the emotion, the energy in the room and destroys your ability to influence because there's no emotion, no emotion, no influence. And this is so easy to fix, but people just don't think about it. When you get the phone call, you say, you think at a hundred, you say 50. I'm expecting 50. 
only, please only put up 50 seats, but stack 50 seats in the back just in case we need them. And what happens? They fill up the seats. They're pulling more seats in the back, more than you expected. You haven't lost any credibility. People are sitting together. More emotion, more energy. I mean, think about it. A packed movie theater, that's a much different experience than when there's just one or two people. Packed together, there's more energy, there's more laughter, there's more emotion. Such a simple thing, very few people do that. Environment matters. The room matters. Get more plants like we learned today. (laughs) Plant a tree in your office if you need to. Whatever you need to do, do it. It makes a huge difference. So Tina, thanks for your email. If you want more information about creating that perfect persuasive presentation, I'll put a link for that too. That's a program I put together with the structure and the PowerPoint, everything you need to create a perfect persuasive presentation, when to include a story, a statistic, an example, a testimonial, step-by-step from your preparation to the structure, to the environment, to your delivery, all set in stone persuasive presentation. So I'll put a link to that on MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate your love and support. Master these skills. Become more influential. Try a couple of new things I talk about every week and go out and persuade with power.